In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, today we start something that we've never done before, at least I've never done before, a sermon series. I mentioned it that and this is a bit of an odd sort of coincidence that for, the, for today and for the next three weeks or two weeks following today, that the historic lectionary, which is around for thousands of years or at least hundreds of years, gives us three readings from John chapter 16. It's really one long reading broken up into three parts and shifted out of order. And so that's what we'll have, really, one long sermon broken up into three parts. We want to consider, though, before we get started, the context of the text in John chapter 16, and that is this large section of Scripture, John 14 to 17. These four chapters are an account of the words of our Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed, the night before His crucifixion. In fact, uh, these words were probably spoken before and after the institution of the Lord's Supper. This was a busy night, this Thursday before Good Friday. It was the night that Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. It was the night that he he washed the disciples' feet. And most importantly, as we mentioned, it was the night in which Jesus gave his last will and testament. He said, look, I want you gentlemen here, you disciples, you apostles, and my whole church to have my body and blood forever for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, on this night, before he was betrayed, is is taking care of his church and is making sure that after his death and after his resurrection and even after his ascension into heaven, that, that the church would be provided for. And so in these words, in these chapters, he is... He is telling his church how he will provide for her after his resurrection. Specifically, then, in chapter 16... Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's equipping them. He's leaving them gifts and promises and the things, all the things that they will need after his resurrection and his ascension. That's why this sermon series is called Jesus Leaves Us, or perhaps better, we could call it this, What Jesus Leaves Behind. For in his words here in the chapter, he promises not to leave us as orphans, not to abandon us with empty hands. He promises to leave us full of his marvelous gifts. Now this morning we have before us verses 16 to 23. And in these verses, the Lord Jesus leaves with us his church joy. In fact, the joy of the resurrection. Next week, we have verses 5 to 15, and we hear how Jesus leaves us the Holy Spirit with his comfort. And then two weeks from today, we have verses 23 to 30, and we rejoice in these words that Jesus leaves us the Father and his love. So, part one, the joy of the resurrection. Part two, the comfort of the Spirit. And part three will be the love of the Father all the things that Jesus leaves for us. So we take up our topic today, the joy of the resurrection. Jesus says these words, and they're repeated three times in the text, a little while and you will see me no longer, and then again in a little while and you will see me. That's verse 16. In these words, he is talking about his death and his resurrection. In just a few hours, Jesus is teaching 
I will be taken away from you. I will be tried, I will be condemned, I will be executed, and I will be buried. But then in just a little while, in just a few days, I'll be back. I'll come back from the dead. I will come for you. And what will happen to the disciples when all of this is happening? When Jesus is being condemned, and then when Jesus is being laid in the tomb, and then when Jesus comes out of the tomb and is and is risen from the dead, he he explains it in these words, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Again, this is as if Jesus is saying, you will see all of these things unfold. You will see my death. You will see my burial, and you will weep you will be sad. You will dwell in pain and and, and you will know the bitterness of death and the grave. And while you are weeping, says Jesus, the world will be rejoicing, dancing, throwing a party because I'm gone. But look, says Jesus, my death is not like other deaths. I am dying for you, suffering for you, so that my death will only last for a little while, and then I will be back from the grave, back from death, back from darkness and into the light. And then when I am raised, resurrected from the dead, then when I come out of the tomb, then you will rejoice. You will have great joy. Then I will give to you the joy of the resurrection. Jesus says it like this. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Joy. This is a rare thing to find in this world, to find even in our own hearts. Joy. When it seems like the world is filled with sadness, with a sort of creeping gloom, that when we look around the world, it seems to us to be ugly or to be dangerous or to be just plain sad. The kind of joy, the singing and dancing joy that the Scriptures put before us is indeed very rare. In fact, I think, you can tell me if you think that I'm wrong, but I think that this simple childlike delight might even be seen by us as a a petty sort of thing. That having joy is to lack maturity. It seems like joy is a lack of concern for, for other people or an ignorance of the things that happen in the world. Now, it's true that this world is indeed a cruel place very often that sorrows and troubles and temptations of this fallen world are pressing the joy out of us like a, like a lemon juicer squeezing the juice out of a lemon. But consider for a moment these words of Jesus. He, he tells his disciples, and he tells us, that our sorrow and our joy These are not the result of the things that happen to us. 
In fact, in a marvelous and wondrous mystery of the Christian life, the sorrow and the joys of the disciples didn't depend on themselves at all, but rather on the things that happened to Jesus. The disciples would be sad because Jesus died. And the disciples would have joy when Jesus was raised from the dead. So So bound up are the disciples to the Lord Jesus that that what happens to him is what matters. If he's dead and lying in the tomb, then the disciples are also basically dead, sorrowful, cast down and afraid. But if he is risen up to newness of life, then they too are, are raised with him, filled with joy. And Jesus is alive. He is risen. He does live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. And this means that the disciples of Jesus, that's all of you, dear saints, are given over to a joy that is perpetual and unending. It is the eternal joy of the resurrection. Just like the disciples, we are so bound up with Jesus that our joy and our sorrow depends only on what happens to him. And he sits now at the right hand of the Father, lives and reigns to all eternity. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has overcome all of the wickedness of the world. He has destroyed everything that would steal away your joy, the world and the flesh and the devil, and so he has given to us certain and unending promises that nothing, not your sin, not your death, not your temptation, nothing at all can keep him from you and the eternal life that he has won for you on the cross. Now, the disciples themselves show, show themselves to be the recipients of this resurrection joy. The world hated the disciples and wanted to destroy them, to destroy their joy. And so the apostles were constantly being beaten and driven around and persecuted. But you know what they did? In the midst of this persecution, they rejoiced. Here's, a, here's an example. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. And when they, that is the Sanhedrin, had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And they left the, the, the presence of the council. Listen to this. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. The world beat them, and they rejoiced. They rejoiced in their persecution. As James teaches later, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When you, re- when you encounter trials, says James, consider it joy. Now, what do you do with a people like that? If you're the enemy of the church and you want to steal their joy, what do you do? If you beat them and drag them around and persecute them and they rejoice, well, there's one thing left you can do. You can put them to death. But look, that doesn't even work. St. Paul writes these words, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1.21. And then later in verse 23, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. Even death cannot steal away the joy of the disciples. In fact, 
Because Jesus rose from the dead for us, our death brings even more joy. The joy of seeing the blessed face of Jesus, of standing before his smile, of hearing his words of welcome, of being gathered to all those that have gone before us in the victory of Christian death. Now what are you going to do? If you persecute the disciples, they rejoice. If you kill them, they rejoice. Well, the only thing left is to let them live and maybe have the troubles of this life. But even that doesn't work. St. Paul has these words. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you persecute the church, the church rejoices. If the churches, if the Christians are put to death, they rejoice. If the devil leaves us to the troubles of this life, we rejoice. For Jesus is with us. He loves us. He forgives us. He has promised us that we too will be resurrected on the last day and we will stand with him. And so there is nothing, dear saints, nothing that can steal away our joy. Now I want to be very clear on this, that the fact that the Lord has handed us over to resurrection joy does not mean that we will not be sad in this life. It does not mean that we will always have a smile on our face it doesn't mean that there, are no, uh, that there are no very terrible things that happen in this world. And, that, and it doesn't mean that our lives remain unaffected by them. No. In fact, we are affected by these things. By the loss, the losses that we have in this life. Sad things happen. Tears come. We are surrounded by disaster. All of us are. Surrounded by death. We are surrounded by loss, and we grieve, and we are tempted. But through all of these pains, and through all of these calamities, through all of these temptations, the Lord Jesus is saving us. He is delivering us into the joy of the resurrection. And it works like this. Consider all of the things that could steal away your joy. Consider them. And then consider what Jesus has done. We'll make a list. Sin. Sin is certainly a dangerous thing. It threatens to separate us from God. But look, Jesus' blood covers your sin. Your sin is forgiven. The God the Father has forgotten it. He does not hold it against you. This indeed is cause for great joy. And what about death? The greatest killjoy of all. Death is certainly a frightful thing apart from the resurrection of Jesus, but when Jesus himself dies and rises, he knocks the teeth out of death, and then he calls death by this derogatory name, sleep. Certainly there is nothing to fear in death because Jesus, our dear Lord, has made for us death into the way to eternal life, into eternal joy. And what about sickness? And, and what about pain? 
in the midst of sickness and pain, it's just about near impossible to rejoice. But sickness and pain always will end, either in life or in death. And if the Lord heals us and, and continues to give us life, then we rejoice in His mercy. And if He delivers us from sickness and pain through death, then we rejoice in His presence. And what else do you want to add to the list? Poverty? The Lord Himself became poor so that we might have the riches of His kingdom, even His name and His mercy and His word and life eternal. Persecution? There is joy in being marked with the name of Jesus, with being hated by the devil with the same hate that He had towards our Lord. The death of a loved one? What joy it is to know that our dear friends in Christ have been gathered to the side of Jesus, that they now exist in perpetual and unending joy, and that we will one day join them in that glory. For, dear saints, our joy is with Jesus. If He is risen, then we have joy, and He is risen. He is risen indeed, and lives and reigns forever and ever. He, in His great love, has handed over to us this joy. The joy of His cross and His resurrection. The joy of His overcoming death and the grave for us. The joy of His mercy and His forgiveness and His kindness and His grace. He promised it. So also you have sorrow now. But, says Jesus, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. May it be so with us. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.